Hello, good morning and welcome to all of you, whoever you are, wherever you are. I'm glad you're with us this morning. I don't often say this, but I will say it this morning to each and all of you. May the grace, mercy and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We are now in that season of Lent, that time when we are encouraged not so much to think about our faith as to feel our faith, to engage with the intangibles of heart and soul rather than mind and intellect. It's a time to give ourselves to engaging not with rules and regulations or dogma and doctrines, but more with relationships, in particular our relationship with God, with ourselves and with each other. I would encourage you as we go into Lent to make time. Make time for your soul. Make time for your heart. Make time for the intangibles. Intangibles, but nonetheless important parts of our life in God. And now Greer is going to lead us in our prayer of approach. Father, we thank you, not simply for making us, but for giving us life, for the sheer joy of being alive, for the pleasure of real friendship, and for the opportunities to enjoy your wonderful creation. We praise you that you have, made, have so made us, that we can find renewal and satisfaction and a sense of completeness, not only in the world around us, but also in the love with which you have filled our lives. We thank you not only for making us, but for making us your special people. You have done this not because we are worthy, but because we must bear a special responsibility. Thank you for giving us a world to care for for other people whose needs are our opportunities to show your love and kindness, for helping us to see even the hard times and the times of difficulty, especially during this COVID pandemic, as opportunities to rediscover your strength and power. We praise you for the faith with which you have filled our lives, for the growing certainty that you will never fail us, that your peace, love and mercy are the things that really matter. Thank you for Jesus Christ, through whom we are made your special possession. Amen. And now Stephen is going to read to us Psalm 25. Before he does, I want to say this to you. The psalm that Stephen will read to us offers a view not so much of the outside world, but of the landscape of a soul, a soul that experiences pain and difficulty, and even at times a sense of abandonment, a soul that wishes only to be remembered by God. It is the words of a soul that knows that salvation comes when God remembers us and pieces us back together, pieces back together the fragmented aspects of our lives and broken relationship. Our Old Testament passage comes from Psalm 25, reading verses 1 to 10 from the New International Version. Psalm 25 To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. 
Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Lent can be a time when a soul feels itself remembered, a time when a soul can find peace, when hope is rediscovered and restored in our hearts. I would encourage you to listen and throughout this week to take time to read this psalm. Will you join me now as together we say the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. And now Stephen will bring us a reading from the Gospel of Luke. As you listen carefully to this reading, you will notice that the words, it is written, is a recurring phrase in the dialogue between the devil and Jesus. It is a phrase that holds both the question and the challenge for us as Christians this Lent. It asks of us, are we living what is written? Our New Testament passage comes from the Gospel of Luke at chapter 4, reading verses 1 to 13. Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place 
and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Amen. Many of you will have heard of the Great Wall of China. Some of you may even have had the privilege of visiting the place. It is a monumental structure, one that required an immense amount of manpower and a huge amount of money to build. When it was finished, the Chinese people thought it was an impregnable defense against their enemies. But their enemies did breach it. They did so not by breaking it down or trying to go around it. They did it by bribing the gatekeepers. Bribing the gatekeepers. Friends, the gateway to our heart only has one guard, and it is us. I'm telling you that story because it is Lent. And Lent is usually a time when, as Christians, we do some kind of internal housekeeping, spiritual auditing, reflect on areas where we feel we have failed or areas where we are weak. And you will often hear sermons and exhortations that go something like this. Jesus overcame his temptations in the wilderness. He made it possible for us to overcome our temptations. So we just need to be like Jesus and say no to temptation. Does that sound familiar to you? I suspect that is often how a lot of us have heard and indeed continue to hear the explanation about the story of Jesus' temptations that was read to us in this morning's Gospel readings. I imagine that most of you have heard some version of that approach to temptation taught to you in church. A version that simply says that the lesson of Lent is simply to learn how to just say no and try harder. In other words, to just build a wall of willpower. But if we are honest with ourselves, temptation is never really that simple. I want to pose some questions for you this morning that I hope will help you to think about the nature and the work of temptation in your personal life and indeed in your spiritual life. So here we go. What if temptation 
whatever its form or its nature, is more than a simple yes or no choice. In fact, what if temptation is not really about God grading the quality of our love or our depth of devotion to him? What if instead temptations are a means to our learning how best to love and to live in the life of faith? In other words, what if temptation is more to do with diagnosis and less to do with judgment? Indeed, what if temptation is in fact a vital part of God's salvation process in our lives? With those thoughts in mind, I want to suggest to you that this Lent season, instead of asking ourselves, what are we going to do with our weaknesses? What are we going to do with our temptations? Instead, we ask ourselves, what are we willing to let our weaknesses, if you like, our temptations do to us? I wonder, have you ever heard about temptation in that way? I know it's not the standard approach, but I would suggest that when it comes to dealing with temptation, questions like the ones I have just posed offer us a different way of reflecting on what we are doing and why we are doing what we are doing. I know it's not the usual perspective, but I would suggest that it neither distorts nor changes the story of Jesus' encounter with the devil in the wilderness. In a sense, it is the story of Jesus' encounter with the devil and temptation in the wilderness. I want you to think for a moment about what happened before Jesus' meeting with the devil. And in fact, what happened afterwards. We are told in the Gospels that before the meeting in the de desert, there was the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan. And after that, we are told he entered the wilderness, and after that, there was his first public sermon in Nazareth. Luke tells us that immediately after his baptism, Jesus went into the wilderness. But before that, he tells us that at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, and the Father, God the Father, declared, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. In other words, the Father identified and declared Jesus to be his child at his baptism, just as he does with each of us at our baptism. After his baptism, Jesus enters the wilderness with those words ringing in his ears. In other words, his identity and his relationship with the Father were given to him before he entered the wilderness, even before he faced his first temptation. Now, think about that. Think about it. What does that mean? It means that whether or not Jesus had said yes or no to the temptations, they would not have determined his sonship or the fact that he was beloved or indeed that God was well pleased with him. These were already a reality, a reality that Jesus could not earn and that Jesus could not lose. Friends, what was true of Jesus is also true of us. 
These are realities that we cannot earn and we cannot lose. The temptations and the struggles in the, tent, in the desert did not determine how God the Father saw Jesus, nor how he felt about them. But they would help to determine how Jesus would see himself. Do you remember what the devil said to him the first time? If you are the son of God. That's how the devil began his first temptation. In other words, this was not simply a yes or no question about Jesus using his powers to satisfy his own appetites. This was more about Jesus knowing who he was and in a sense knowing it for himself. Luke tells us that facing these temptations, Jesus knew himself to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. The truth of his father's words at his baptism were in a sense confirmed and affirmed through his temptations in the wilderness. But that truth was no longer something that rang in his ears. It was now something that echoed in the very depths of his being. The temptations that he had faced in a very real sense called forth in Jesus the confirmation of his baptismal identity. And it was in the strength of the knowledge of that identity that Jesus was able to overcome the temptations of the devil. It's a subtle thing, but think about it for a moment. Because what it means is that the devil had unwittingly tempted Jesus into knowing and experiencing the truth about himself. His identity was no longer simply based on words spoken at his baptism, but was a truth that was experienced in the midst of the furnace of temptation. It was a truth that was later preached in his first sermon in Nazareth. After his experience in the wilderness, Luke tells us, Jesus went to the synagogue at Nazareth and read a passage from the book of Isaiah, a passage that began with the words, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And after he had read the passage, he tells the congregation, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Are you following me, friends? Stick with me. Jesus' self-understanding of himself was in a very real sense formed and affirmed in the midst of temptation to sin. I want to say this to you. Temptation can teach us a lot about ourselves if we will let it. Our personal temptations, our personal struggles, our personal wilderness experiences teach us a lot about ourselves. They, in fact, offer us an opportunity to become, in a sense, more whole, more integrated, more fully ourselves. They help us to own our God-declared identities. One of the early church fathers, St. Anthony the Great, who is often credited with being the father of monasticism, once said, without temptation, there is no salvation. Now, what did he mean? Well, let me say this. When you and I are tempted, we tend to focus on the person or the thing or the situation that is tempting us. But really, it's not about the person or the thing or the situation. The temptation is about us. If we let them, our temptations will tell us more about what is going on in us 
than what is going on around us. That's why I believe the just say no approach is an overly simplistic and wholly inadequate way of responding to temptation. At its root, temptation is less about the choice we make and more about our sense of identity and the direction we are heading in. Who am I? Where is my life headed? That's what temptation teaches us. We answer those questions every time we face and respond to our temptations. We face ourselves. We learn how in the past our souls became distorted and our lives disfigured. We learn about how our hearts and our spirits can be disconnected from the beauty of the image of the God in whose image we were created. This self-knowledge is part of our experience, part of the redemptive work of salvation. That's what St. Anthony meant when he said, without temptation, there is no salvation. He meant there is no experience of the fullness of the work of salvation. The type of temptations that we experience and the circumstances by which they come to us are unique to each and every one of us. What you may be prone to being tempted by could be, be very different to what I am prone to being tempted by. In that sense, temptations reveal what is true about us, what fills us. And again, I say to you, if we let them, our temptations will help us to face whatever's going on inside of us. What was it about that person, that thing, that situation that triggered an external temptation. Let me explain. Luke tells us that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's for us to know. But it was in a sense for Jesus to discover as he entered the wilderness and faced the temptation. Temptation offers us an opportunity to discover what fills us and the chance to rediscover and recover our true identity. So let me ask you this morning, and I mean it in the best possible sense. What are you full of? What fills your life? Look at what tempts you. What causes you to falter and to stumble and to fall? What distracts you from being your true self? What disconnects you from your soul? What disfigures your spirit? What persons and circumstances call forth a response from you other than the one that you would wish or would like for it to be? Remember, those responses are not about the people, the situation or the things. They are more often than not about you, about what fills you and what directs your life. I want to encourage you to follow your temptations, to look at them. What's going in on you? What do you see? Whatever you see there within you, whatever you learn about what causes you to stumble, I want you to remember this, that whatever you learn, whatever you discover, it is just information. It is simply a diagnosis. It is not a final judgment. It is not who you are. We are all of us more than our sins.
We do not fail or pass our temptations so much as we learn the truth about how we see ourselves. We learn the truth about the direction our life is taking and who we may be in danger of becoming. And I know that this learning is not always easy or pain-free, but it is necessary in order that God may be allowed to reshape and redirect and redeem our lives. So I want to suggest to you that this Lent season, you take the time to reflect, to follow your temptations. And obviously, I don't mean giving in to them. And I don't mean simply turning your back on them and saying no. The wall of willpower is all too often so very easily breached. What I mean is for you to follow the learning that they offer you. Where are they taking you? What knowledge are your temptations giving you? I really believe if we let them, our temptations will return us to the truth of who we really are as the daughters and sons of God, beloved children with whom he is well pleased. This Lent season, I would encourage you, friends, to follow your temptations and to accept the gift that they unwittingly are offering you. God bless you. We pray for all whose lives are dominated by their seeking more power or status for themselves, or by the hope of security through their material possessions, for those whose selfish ambition means failure for others, and whose insatiable appetite for wealth prolongs the poverty of many. May the truth of Christ open blind eyes. The Lord hears our prayer. We pray for those whose lives are crippled by prejudice, self-satisfaction and fear, for those who are deaf to the cries of the hungry and the starving, and for those who blame those less fortunate for things over which they have had little or no control. May the love of Christ soften hardened hearts. The Lord hears our prayer. We pray for those whose lives are full of guilt, real or imagined, for those who feel unable to forgive themselves for the things they have said or done or failed to do, for those filled with remorse and for those who do not see how they can put their lives back together again, for those who have given in to temptation so many times, their consciences have become hardened. May the gentle voice of Christ reach into the depths of their need. The Lord hears our prayer. We pray for those who seek to manipulate other people and for those who rely on emotional blackmail to get their own way, for parents who neglect appropriate discipline for their children and for those who abuse their position of trust, for those who have never known what it means to be loved unconditionally and those who long to know they are accepted. May the patience of Christ bring hope where it is most needed. The Lord hears our prayer. We pray for those who long to have faith, for those who have yet to realise that it cannot be achieved, only received as a gift from God's hand. For those who, because they have faith in God, think that this is an excuse for not using their God-given powers of thought and reason. 
for those whose faith is fragile and weak and is soon lost in the heat of temptation. May the safe hands of Christ give strength to those in danger of falling. The Lord hears our prayer. We pray for those who are seeking to be peacemakers, for those who seek to bring hope and reconciliation all around the world, for those who long for a new beginning for their relationships, for those who reach out to the lost, the broken, the frustrated, the despised and the rejected, for those who are willing to share their neighbour's hurt as part of their witness and service for Christ, and for those who stand with the tempted because they know from their own bitter experience just how hard it is to say no. May the compassion of Christ be their companion still. The Lord hears our prayer. We pray for ourselves in a moment of quiet. Open your own heart to God. Share with him now those areas of life which cause you most difficulty. The times when you know temptation will come. May the faithfulness of Christ hold us forever and hold us till the end and beyond. The Lord hears our prayer. In the name of Christ, Amen. And now, my friends, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with every good thing for doing his will, and may he work in you what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.